This is the third segment of Michael Ellis's lecture on his theory of dog training. This lecture will go on over the next several weeks in our newsletter. So if I, most of our obedience behaviors really lend themselves well to non-reinforcement. Non-reinforcement is for mistakes. So I ask my dog to lay down. Instead, my dog sits. I say, nope, you don't get this piece of food. Let's try that again. I say, down. He sits instead. I say, nope, you don't get this piece of food. Let's try again. I say, down. He downs. Yes, and he gets the piece of food. So he figures out, oh, that's what gets me to the piece of food. So non-reinforcement works beautifully for that kind of stuff, for our obedience behaviors. And when I say non-reinforcement and we're not correcting the dog, it means also that we're not using social pressure on the dog. It means my non-reinforcement marker isn't, no, bad dog, right? That's the same as a correction to a certain kind of dog, right? Social pressure is also a correction for our dog. I should distinguish a non-reinforcement marker from a what we call a conditioned punisher. Right? So our no marker pinpoints the moment the dog was incorrect, the same way that our yes marker, our reward marker, pinpoints the exact moment the dog was correct. And I mentioned earlier that our reward marker is in, in behavioral circus, circles is also called a conditioned reinforcer. And a conditioned reinforcer is something that was meant nothing to the dog, in our case a sound, the word yes for me, but whatever it is, a sound that had no meaning to the dog, but by predicting something that was reinforcing to the dog, what we call a primary reinforcer, food, a toy, petting, whatever, now the sound itself has been conditioned to be reinforcing to the dog. So dog hears the sound and he gets happy, right? Because it's been conditioned to be reinforcing. At the other end of the spectrum, we have what's called a conditioned punisher. So if I bring my dog out and I say no and give him a correction, or no and whack him on the head with a newspaper, right? if I do this 20 times in a row, when I say no, my dog is going to act as if I corrected them. They're going to physically act like I corrected them. They're going to go, whoop, when they say no, even though now I didn't touch them. If I walk up to you and say, hey, and punch you in the stomach, hey, and punch you in the stomach, and I do that 20 times in a row, the next time I say, hey, you go, whoop, whether or not I hit you, right? your body takes over a conditioned punisher. So what happens is we, there are certain places in our lives that we will use a conditioned punisher. I don't want my dog to chase cars. I don't want him to bite my nephew. <laughs> I don't want him to, there's th things that I want out of the repertoire. Like you don't get to do these, these are bad things, right? If you rehearse these behaviors continually, it becomes a problem for us. So I might correct those behaviors when they first start happening. And I might condition a punisher to do that. So I take my dog for a walk, he wants to chase the moving car, I say no, I give him a correction, we go do something else. I say no, I give him a correction. Pretty soon, no means a correction to my dog. If that's the case, if I've used one of those in real life, if I've used a conditioned punisher in real life, use a different sound for your non-reinforcement marker. So lots of people say no for their conditioned punisher and they say uh-uh or wrong or whatever for your non-reinforcement marker. But it's really important. If you've corrected your dog at home, while saying no, and you try to use no as your non-reinforcement marker on the field, you're going to get the same bad effects as if you were correcting the dog. Right? So we should talk a little bit now. So in a nutshell, that's our communication system for the dog. Right? It allows us to basically pinpoint exactly when the dog is right and wrong. When they're going to get a reward, when I like what they're doing and I keep, for them to keep doing it, and when they were wrong and they're going to have to either do it over 
or they're going to get punished depending on where we are in the process. I should probably talk a little bit here about non-reinforcement and where it works and where it doesn't work. So what we're talking about here, this whole system, is what we call a reward-based system. You'll hear people say motivational training. I don't like the term because dogs can be motivated for, by lots of things. They can be motivated to get something they want. They can be motivated to avoid something unpleasant. They're both forms of motivational training. What we really are doing is reward-based training. We're taking something the dog wants and showing them what they have to do to access that reward. So reward-based training. The constraints on reward-based training, the limits of reward-based training, are your dog's motivation. How motivated is my dog? That's what constrains this system. And there's a reason that working dog people are out there looking for that nutty dog. And somebody had told me when I got into dogs 30 years ago that I was going to want some of the maniac dogs that I've had <laughs> in the last years. People, I would have been like, you're crazy. Why would I want a dog like that? A dog wants to bite everything. He wants to chase everything. You know, I tried to give him a piece of food. He took the end of my finger off. Right? Who wants that kind of dog? What you find, though, is that the more motivated the dog is, the better reward-based training works, the harder that dog will work to get to the reward, and the more distractions that dog will tune out to get to it. So the more motivated our dog, the better non-reinforcement works and the better reward-based training works. So we'll spend a lot of time this weekend talking about building motivation in our dog. How do we use food and toys to make more motivation? What's a productive way to play with your dog to build motivation? And there's a reason that we're constantly trying to make our dogs more motivated. Because if my dog doesn't want what I have, Reward-based training and non-reinforcement doesn't work. If I'm training my dog with a ball and he doesn't really want the ball, and he makes a mistake and I say, no, you don't get your ball, he goes, so what? <laughs> What's over there? <laughs> he goes off and wanders off. So the dog has to be motivated for the objects. What, it was funny, when I first started getting into um, reward-based training, I had trained with a lot of guys that were very much purist escape avoidance trainers. The guys I learned from were all compulsion-based trainers. And some of them were very good at it, but it was that was sort of the mindset. And the first time I got what I would consider now a highly motivated dog, the guys I trained with told me, oh, you're going to have to get on that dog right now. You'll never get him under control unless you start getting on him now as a young dog. And I actually found the opposite to be true. He was so motivated for everything, for a ball, to bite, to play, everything, that non-reinforcement worked beautifully on him. If he made a mistake and I said, no, you don't get your ball, you want to try that again? He was like, please, please let me try it again, right? And he would get it right the next time. So I used a lot less pressure on that dog than I wound up using on the, a lot of the dogs that are a little less motivated. The tricky dogs for us are what I call the medium motivation dogs. So we get a super highly motivated dog, great. Non-reinforcement, reward-based training works beautifully. That dog really trying to figure out what he needs to do to get to that stuff. We have a dog with no motivation really easy as well. You just turn it into a pet. You don't train it for any of this stuff because it's a square peg, round hole. No. He lays around the house. It's great. You let that one off the hook. The ones that are difficult are the ones that are in the middle that supply us with some motivation, but not enough of motivation to override their interest in certain things in the environment under distraction. Or maybe they weren't, won't work more for more than a few minutes to get a reward before they say, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. Those are the dogs that get the brunt of the compulsion in our training. Because if I don't have something that the dog wants more than some aspect of the environment, I have no choice but to correct the dog at that point. So if my dog's favorite thing in the whole world is chasing squirrels, 
and I go out there and try to heal him around, and there's a squirrel in the tree, that's the, his favorite thing right there. He wants to get the squirrel. He doesn't care that I have a ball. He doesn't care that I have food. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. His desire for that will override the desire for this, and I cannot make that go away if that's his favorite thing. So I have no choice but to correct him and say, no, you can't have that, but you can have this. So the dogs in the middle are the ones that we wind up using the most compulsion on. The other thing that non-reinforcement, like I, I mentioned briefly before, non-reinforcement works really well for what I call neutral behaviors, behaviors that really have no meaning to the dog unless we supply it. Oh, most of our obedience behaviors, sit, down, stand, heal, these things aren't intrinsically reinforcing for the dog. Non-reinforcement does not work on what I call self-reinforcing behaviors, the squirrels, right? So most of our dogs are hardwired to enjoy chasing things. It's a vestige of when they had to hunt to survive, and if they weren't genetically programmed to enjoy chasing, they wouldn't get to eat. The act of chasing has to feel good to them, right? So your dog may chase squirrels and never catch a squirrel in his life, but the act of chasing squirrels feels so good that the more he does it, the more into it he gets. So they can get bonkers for it, and they're like, this feels good. This is what we call a self-reinforcing behavior. Non-reinforcement does not work on self-reinforcing behaviors. My dog goes to chase a squirrel, I can't say no. Let him chase the squirrel, come back, give him a piece of food. It'll never go away that way, because the behavior itself is reinforcing. So with self-reinforcing behaviors, the only way we're going to make them go out of the repertoire is by punishing them away, taking the self-reinforcing nature away from it. So that's one of the other places that we will use punishment in the beginning. If it's necessary, and the dog, I'll block the dog from being able to perform self-reinforcing behavior so they don't get to continually rehearse those behaviors. We're going to end this part of the lecture here. Our next newsletters will be a continuation of this lecture from Michael Ellis. If you'd like to watch some of the free streaming videos that I have on my website, you can go to this web address now. I have a number of uh, free streaming training videos and then a number of product videos also. Thank you.